Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi, it's Annika. Welcome to this week's episode of Speak Up. Today, I'm really pleased to be chatting to two of my Speech Pathology Australia colleagues about something that impacts us all and is so important for all of us to understand, our professional certification, previously known as our professional self-regulation. Joining me is Rosie Miller, Speech Pathology Australia Advisor of Professional Standards. Thanks for chatting with me today, Rosie. You're welcome, Annika. And I also have Tara Lewis, who is Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Strategy and Practice with me. Hi and welcome, Tara. Thanks, Annika. So I'm so excited to be learning about this. This is so important for us to know. Um, and I'm going to kickstart our chat by handing it over to you, Rosie, if I can, and just asking you if you could give everyone listening an overview of the purpose of the certification program and also why is it so important for our profession to have a certification program? Sure. Um, the purpose of the certification program is to ensure that practitioners are competent to provide safe, effective and evidence-based services. And certification is a really important mechanism for protecting service users, protecting the public. Um, Speech Pathology Australia is the regulator. Speech Pathology Australia regulates the certification of speech pathologists for both members and non-members. And as we know, certification comes with privileges, such as the use of the title Certified Practicing Speech Pathologist and eligibility to provide services to people funded by certain bodies, such as Medicare. But it also comes with obligations, including continuing professional development and recency of practice. Now, I believe, Rosie, there are some changes coming to the certification program in the next certification period. I hope I've got that right. Um, why did changes need to be made to what we had already? Sure. Um, as I mentioned, the ultimate aim of the certification program is continual improvement of speech pathology practice and great outcomes for the people and communities that we serve. So it's really important that we review the certification program from time to time to see if it can be improved and strengthened to better support the aspirations of the profession. But more specifically, there were several drivers. Um, firstly, a need to align the certification program with core documents such as the Code of Ethics and the Professional Standards. And we need a certification program that affirms our commitment to lifelong learning, to professional support, and to the provision of culturally safe practice when working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Um, another driver was the need to acknowledge the diversity of roles and contexts in which speech pathologists work. And in terms of 
the continuing professional development or the CPD requirements. The PSR program, as it used to be called, was introduced over 20 years ago. So a major review was well overdue. And um, we looked at the evidence around CPD and regulatory mechanisms. And we looked at trends in Australia and overseas. And we learned that there's a shift towards models that are outcome-based, where there's a focus on the outcomes of learning in strengthening and improving practice, where goal setting, planning and reflection are key elements. And last but not least, we responded to feedback from members. Members were telling us that they want certification requirements that support practice improvement and are inclusive of a range of speech pathology roles, yet a simple and easy to implement and not a burden. So the aim of introducing these improvements was to develop a model that was robust, inclusive, but also easy to understand and easy to implement. Hmm. It sounded like it was timely for a review and you've done a heap of work to put something a little bit easier to use in place. So can I ask, what exactly are the changes that we will be seeing in Mm -hmm. the new certification program? Okay, I'll talk about practice first. The recency of practice requirements haven't changed in terms of the number of hours or practice hours that we need to accrue within a certain time period. However, the definition of speech pathology practice has been updated. It's now more inclusive and acknowledges the diversity of roles and contexts in which speech pathologists practice. Um, And importantly, the distinction between direct and indirect practice has gone. So there'll no longer be that requirement to have accrued a certain percentage of direct practice hours. So, yeah, speech pathology practice is not restricted to direct services to individuals. Um, In terms of continuing professional development, the improvements, I think, are are really exciting. The requirements will have an outcome focus. Mm -hmm. Instead of points, we'll record hours of learning. So there'll be a shift from time spent attending an event or a workshop, for example, to time spent learning and how that learning might strengthen or improve the quality of your practice. So rather than working out how many points a particular activity is worth and what category to record it under, the focus will shift to the time you spend learning and the outcomes of that learning. Um, Another change is that Speech Pathology Australia has developed a clear definition of continuing professional development. Um, So that's an explicit definition and I think will be really helpful in supporting us to work out or to to discern what is continuing professional development and what isn't. Mm. Um, I won't um, read out the whole definition, but there's a a component of it here that I think might be helpful just to um, read out for listeners. Um, Continuing professional development occurs when undertaking activities relevant to the role or context of the speech pathologist that strengthen current knowledge or provide new or enhanced learning. Excellent. So can I, I'm just wondering, because all of this is kind of floating through my head, this is all new to me as well, and obviously something that I need to get my head around as a practicing speech pathologist. Um, so I'm loving this new term, hours of learning. How, what does it really mean and how would we prove um, our learning from a workshop, for instance, if it's not just based on points per se? Sure. So um, 
it's up to the individual speech pathologist to make a judgment to work out how many hours of learning were involved. So, for example, you might go to a two-and-a-half-hour workshop yep. and you find that half an hour of that workshop covered material that wasn't relevant to your practice or it may have been relevant material but it was familiar to you and you didn't learn anything new. So instead of claiming 2.5 points or 2.5 hours, you, you claim two hours of learning because that reflects the time that you gained learning during that, that activity. Um, a question often asked is, what can I claim or does this activity count as CPD? Under the new model, the hours of learning you claim must be relevant to your current or your future role or context and must result in new or enhanced learning. So I think it's more flexible and more inclusive. So um, it's not tied to the type of activity that you engage in. It's, it's, the focus is very much on what you're learning. Mm. Um, so, for example, you could include reflective learning. Um, that might um, involve the time you spend after a workshop mm. or after a conference digesting information and reflecting on what you learned and what the implications might be for your practice. So, yeah. I, I... Or even feeding back to your colleagues. I find that in my workplace that's um, quite common that if somebody does go to a CPD event that we do at our next staff meeting have somebody feed back their learnings from that. Can that be included as part of the hours of learning? Absolutely. And often, yeah. you know, that time that you spend preparing and presenting mm. involved it helps to consolidate oh, your learning totally. too, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. absolutely. Yeah. And um, content doesn't have to be speech pathology specific as long as it's yeah. relevant and supports your practice. Um, in terms of what you can't claim as mm. CPD hours of learning, they're the activities that don't involve new or enhanced learning such and an example might be activities that might reasonably be expected to be a routine part of your role. Would that be like first aid training? I know in my workplace we have a whole range of compliancy training that we need to complete each year that is compulsory for my workplace, but it's the same every year. Would that be that? Um, I, I, you know, that sort of generic content you could claim as hours of learning because it's relevant if it's relevant to your practice. And, you know, okay. first, first aid is relevant to your practice, isn't it, even though it's not speech pathology specific mm-hmm. or, you know, learning about child safe practices and policies. Um, even if example. you've learnt about it before? Ah, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, if you've learned about, about it before and you're not gaining any new learning, yeah. then I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim okay. CPD hours of learning. But, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And another example might be um, delivering presentations on a frequent basis. For example, you might be presenting um, dysphagia or mealtime, mealtime management workshops to support workers or um, uh, staff in nursing homes, for example, and you deliver that training, you know, repeatedly. Mm. Yeah. And I guess the question is, are you, is that continuing professional development for you? Are you learning? And it might be that it's not, you're not learning a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a routine part of your, your role. Your role, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about if you do provide supervision or mentoring? Um, can that be claimed as hours of learning? Sure, sure. Um, under the new model, and I, I haven't 
explain the, the categories. Um, in, instead of 11 categories, we'll, we'll only have three categories. Oh, wow, and one of those nice. <laughs> a lot simpler. A lot simpler. <laughs> yeah, so one of the categories will be professional support, but that category refers to receipt of professional support. But if you're, you are a supervisor or a mentor providing um, supervision or mentoring, then you can claim hours of learning if you feel or if you judge that you're learning something new through those interactions or that you feel that your learning has been enhanced. So it's really up to the individual to make that call. And I think um, referring to SPA's definition of continuing professional development will be really helpful there. Mm. Yeah. So for provision of professional support, whether that's supervision or mentoring or, or another form of professional support, you can you can record those hours of learning under code O or other. Right, okay. Here's a bit of a bias question for you, Rosie. For regular listeners of our podcast, and there are many, are they able to claim hours of learning for listening to one of the podcasts? Absolutely, yes. If it's relevant to your practice and if you're gaining new information, yes. Okay, good. Well, that's good. I feel like I can tick off a few boxes then <laughs> with how many I'm involved in. Um, awesome. So I'm going to hand ball it on to Tara, who is sitting there so patiently. <laughs> so Tara, um, my understanding is with the new um, professional um, certification, there will be a requirement for two hours of mandatory cultural learning. I'm just wondering why this was such an important addition to the certification program. Yeah, thanks, Annika. Um I think as, a, as an association, it really shows our commitment to taking a stance, um, to understanding our history, uh, not only as a profession, but also as a nation as well. Um, I think if we reflect on SPA's formal apology uh, that Gaynor delivered uh, in 2019, it really shows our commitment to redressing all forms of racism in our services and in the profession. So I think by adding the minimum of two hours of cultural learning, it really gives us um, permission to change the narrative, mm. to change that narrative of, of deficit within, um, you know, our ideologies and our thinking in regards to the ways in which Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples may communicate. Um, it really allows us to see that our ideologies and practices regarding normal communication hasn't ever really privileged uh, or benefited Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and their communities. Um, and, you know, we abide by a code of ethics and, you know, evidence-based practice as well. So I think by ensuring cultural learning uh, is now part of our professional standards, uh, it is a really important step to moving uh, forward and to reconciling our past and moving towards reconcilia reconciliation. Mm -hmm. I think it also allows us to relinquish some of that power and to really listen carefully and to truly understand and respect the worldviews of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, uh, particularly around communication. Um, and it allows us to um, provide culturally safe and responsive services that are going to benefit uh, the communities that we're here to serve. Well said, Tara, and I totally agree with you. I'm really pleased that this has been included in um, the certification it's fantastic yeah. I want to get it right though I really you know and I think that um, anyone listening to the podcast would agree we want to get it right so what type of training would be considered suitable there's a lot of um, training out there I guess some speech pathology specific some not so I'm really interested in your thoughts on what sort of training would be considered suitable to meet that requirement 
Yeah, and I think that is a question that is on everybody's mind as well. Um, and I think we really need to think about starting with um, the local context. So where are you providing services? Um, because, you know, Indigenous Allied Health Australia also talk about that we can't take a service um, just say here in Mianjin from Brisbane, where I am, um, and take it to, um, you know, uh, to you and country um, in, uh, around there um, because it's not going to benefit and may not privilege um, the Aboriginal people that live in that community. So it's really important to start at the local context and understand what the language use is at that local context and also uh, the worldviews of um, the Aboriginal people that live there as well. Um, so that might start with yarning with community and trying to understand, you know, what, what type of learning do I need to, to do within this community to understand um, the aspirations of the community that I'm serving um, because they are the experts. Mm. Uh, we need to, as I said, relinquish some of that power and realise that we aren't the experts within the communities that um, we're offering services to. Mm. So I really have those yarns with community and really have that reflective practice that Rosie's been talking about, that reflective learning. Um, so there is that informal cultural learnings that we talk about, which is on country and learning from um, country, understanding what country that we're on uh, and understanding the history um, of the country as well. Um, but there's also that formal cultural learning as well in terms of, you know, the academic literature that we're all um, used to reading um, around evidence-based. Um, but we also need to make sure that that academic literature, um, it aligns with the ethical conduct in research with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and communities as well. So the NHMRC guidelines around the ethical conduct of research. So we want to make sure that the, the academic literature that we are reading is actually led by and in collaboration with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as well. Uh, there's, you know, been a long history of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people being researched upon. Um, and um, I guess that has created that narrative of deficit, that discourse of deficit thinking, mm. which is, has been published quite a lot. So uh, in order to move forward and understand what is suitable, it has to be led by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples um, and in collaboration with communities as well. So that may mean, you know, attending workshops as well as conferences that are led by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples or having mentoring experiences from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as well. Um, you can also um, look at some informal learnings uh, in terms of reading things on websites as well, um, reading novels as well um, around the history of this place, of, of this country, and, in view, and also viewing of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, documentaries or miniseries um, that provides some relevance to the practices um, in, in, in which we provide as well. So just those interactions um, and those relationship buildings with the communities in which we're serving. Mm. And I'm just wondering, will Speech Pathology Australia be supporting members in accessing some of that in terms of, um, I guess, because I'm a little bit of a concrete thinker, <laughs> what particular um, research Air, you know, areas should we be looking at? What particular um, or how do we link in perhaps with um, the community that we work in? Is there going to be some directions around that or some support perhaps around that? Um, yeah, so uh, I think what I've been doing currently is um, encouraging people to um, develop relationships and connections with their local communities, with their local Aboriginal medical services, uh, if they may have a First Peoples Directorate at the universities as well. So then um, um, they're developing those relationships and connections within their local context too. Mm -hmm. um, 
Beach Pathology Australia, we are in the process of creating a cultural learning section in the Learning Hub as well. So that's not up and running at the moment, but it's definitely in the process. Uh, So there will be um, access for members to be able to support their cultural learning um, via the Cultural Learning Hub. Yeah. Brilliant. That's awesome. I think, as I've mentioned, we want to do this right. I I want to do it right. And um, it's a learning process for everybody. And I think with a little bit of direction, we can certainly get it right, which is awesome. Now, sorry to jump around a little bit, but Rosie, I'm going to jump back to you if that's okay. And just touch on the CPD requirements just in a little bit more detail. And I know we've mentioned um, hours of learning, but I'm just wondering if you could maybe be a bit more specific about what um, the CPD CPD requirements are. Sure. Um, So all of these changes will come into effect from July the 1st, 2022. And in terms of the CPD requirements, the minimum requirement instead of 20 points will be 20 hours of learning per membership year. Mm-hmm. Um, so another important development is that SPA is introducing required learning. And Tara has just spoken yes. about the required cultural learning component, the minimum two hours of cultural learning per membership year. Um, SPA is also introducing required learning around professional support. And I'll I can speak a bit more about that later. Um, And a really significant initiative to support the aspirations of the profession. And it lines up the CPD requirement with the professional standards and the code of ethics and other documents. Um, Yeah, and as I think I mentioned earlier that instead of 11 categories, there'll only be three. So professional support, cultural learning and other learning. So hopefully that will be a lot more, Simpler? Streamlined. Yeah, Yeah, a bit more streamlined. Mm. Um, And another thing that I think a lot of members might welcome is that there'll no longer be caps. So do you remember there Mm. used to be a maximum of certain number of points for that area? Yes, a limit of 12 points that you could earn per category. So that will go. So no more maximum number of hours of learning. Um, There are also some other elements to the CPD requirements. So That includes um, developing a a CPD plan, maintaining an accurate log or a CPD record, engaging in CPD that draws on the best available evidence and seeking to ensure that CPD activities contribute to the quality of your practice and that the CPD that you engage in benefits your service users and or communities. Um, We may not always be able to guarantee or prove that our CPD improves our practice Um, or that service users benefit, but it's about holding that intention. Yeah, absolutely. Can we touch on then about the mandatory professional support component that you just mentioned then? What does that look like in practice? Yeah, sure. So professional support um, is a very broad term, so it's defined very broadly by Speech Pathology Australia and it encompasses a range of different types of partnerships to assist speech pathologists develop the quality of their work, develop their skills, abilities and confidence to practice. So it's not just about supervision and mentoring. It could include peer support. It could include communities of practice. It could include coaching. And it could include, yeah, other types of partnerships, whether in a one-to-one or group settings. Um, Yeah, so it doesn't have to be clinical supervision. 
or mentoring, and it doesn't have to be provided by a speech pathologist. It depends on your work context and your professional needs at the time. So, for example, it could be that you engage in a block of business coaching to support you with setting up a private practice, for example, or it might be that you engage in regular support with other speeches or you seek supervision from a psychologist if you're working in the mental health space. Um, there are parameters around the professional support requirement. For example, there needs to be an agreement, there need to be goals, and it's recommended that you um, keep a log. Mm -hmm. A key point with the professional support requirement is that it's about receiving professional support. So I think, as we talked about earlier, if you're um, providing supervision or mentoring and you want to claim some CPD hours of learning for that, you would record that under code O under other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What about um, if you receive clinical supervision in your workplace, you might be a grade one therapist and you're being supervised by um, a senior speech pathologist in your workplace and that's part of your job. Is that okay to be included as professional support? Yes, you could okay. claim hours of learning for the supervision you receive in your workplace as long as it's relevant, supports mm -hmm. your practice and that you're gaining skills and knowledge. Okay, that's awesome. But it sounds like, uh, so for my situation where I am the only speech pathologist in my workplace um, and I don't get, I mean, I have supervision in terms of um, a manager above me, but it's not clinical supervision. I might be looking outside of my workplace to be receiving some of that professional support. Would that be right? Mm, yes. Um, so Rosie, are there any changes that specifically impact our sort of early career um, provisional speech pathologists mm -hmm. as part of the new changes? Yeah, that's a great question. So the new continuing professional development requirements apply to speech pathologists with both provisional and full certification. So it's something that we all need to be aware of. So that is the minimum 20 hours of learning per membership year, which includes the at least two hours receipt of, of professional support and two hours of cultural learning. But in terms of the eligibility requirements for moving from provisional to full certification, they haven't changed. Um, so, yeah, the, the 200 practice hours, the completion of the ethics and the evidence-based practice education packages and the receipt of um, a minimum 12 hours of supervision or mentoring from a more experienced speech pathologist, those requirements haven't changed very much. There's some tweaking around the par parameters for the supervision component. Um, uh, at least six hours of supervision or mentoring must be um, uh, received in a one-to-one -one setting. So, so yeah, the, so the specific requirements for transitioning from provision to full haven't changed. Okay, that's good. Now, I know that there are going to be so many questions about this, these changes, Rosie, and I'm just wondering where listeners could go for further information. Mm, sure. There'll be information on the website towards the end of June 2022. Um, a detailed guide for members has been developed called the Certification Program Guide. Uh, there'll also be an easy-to-read one-page flyer with key information. Um, the improvements were flagged in the February 2022 Speak Out edition, but the June and August editions will have a lot more information. Um, there'll be a presentation at the May National Conference um, and there'll be more communications coming out closer to the date, closer to 
July. And of course, members can always contact SPA by phone or email if they have any questions. And I know it's a change, but we're all going to be okay, aren't we, Rosie? We're all going to we'll be fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. (laughs) We can do this. We We can can do it. It It sounds like a really nice, easy change. (laughs) I'm excited about it. I think it'll be great. Absolutely. It sounds much easier. That's for sure. Now, thank you so much for chatting with me to both of you. It's um, really been such a worthwhile conversation and um, it's really clarified a lot for me and I'm hoping it's clarified a lot for people listening because yeah, it is a change and it's sometimes nice just to have it talked through to um, really that it's not as as daunting as we think so huge thank you to you both no worries thank you you're welcome thanks Annika and thank you as always to everyone for tuning in good luck with your certification process it's never as bad as you think and be sure to join us again next Wednesday